Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer City. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. Welcome to all of the families visiting for baby dedications. These are always such a fun Sunday. At Redeemer City, we are a community of believers that is seeking to grow in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus and allowing our lives to be transformed by God's truth. If you are new to Redeemer City, if this is your first Sunday here, we're so glad to have you and we would love the chance to get to know you better and tell you a little bit more about this community. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can fill out a Connect card. You can do that on our website, which is RedeemerCityChurch.org. Or if you prefer, you can find a paper copy of the Connect card outside of these doors by the kitchen, and you can fill that out this morning. We've got a bunch of announcements today, a lot of cool things coming up. First off, we have an ice cream social on August 11th at 6 p.m. This is going to be at McKee Farms Park. There is, of course, going to be ice cream provided. There's also a playground for the kids. And this could be a great opportunity to invite some friends who don't go to Redeemer City. So for more details and a link to RSVP for that, you can find that on the RC Family Updates Slack channel. It's almost time for city groups to start up again for the fall. These are going to be starting at the beginning of September, so in about a month. And if you don't know, city groups are, are small groups that meet during the week. This is a big way that we build community and relationships within Redeemer City. So if you're not part of a group right now and you're interested in becoming part of one, please reach out to Emily Meshnick and she will get you connected to a group. Our RC Kids Ministry is looking for some new faces for the fall. Most volunteers serve about once a month, and there are a bunch of different ways that you can help out, depending on what you're comfortable with, what you have experience with. So that could be teaching the class, it could be being an aide or an assistant, or helping with check-in or security. So if you're interested in any of that, please reach out to Sheena Lorenz by August 21st for more information. For the first time this fall, Redeemer City will be hosting a monthly moms group, and this will provide a regular time for moms of small children to study God's word together and have time for discussion and fellowship. So for more information about dates and times, registration, and also some ways to serve, please see the RC Family Updates channel on Slack. If you are new to Redeemer City in the last few months, we would love to have you join us for a visitor lunch right after worship on August 21st. This is gonna be a good chance to meet some people and learn a little bit more about Redeemer City. So if you're interested, please send Emily Meshnick a Slack message. And finally, next week we are starting a new sermon series. This is going to be titled Learning Evangelism from Jesus. And this is going to be a series in partnership with our Madison Multiply network of churches that Redeemer City is a part of here in Madison. And that means we're going to be welcoming a few guest preachers from other Madison Multiply churches. So you won't want to miss that. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality." When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, good morning. My name is Nate, if I haven't met you yet. So we've been going through a series through the Apostles' Creed, and we come to the final line today. It's about one thing. It's about hope. So have you ever seen the movie The Hunger Games? It's that dystopian post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, There's a line said by the chief antagonist, President Snow. He makes this line. He says this, hope, it is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. You know, this line in the film illuminates something that I bet all of us know at some point. We have all experienced some level of hope in our life. For some of us, it's been a really hard season the last couple years, and, and we're hoping that we're on the other side. We're hoping the next couple years are different, right? Some of us, we're hoping, we're, we're dedicating children day, we're hoping that our kids turn out okay, right? Others of us, we're, maybe if you're a kid, you're, you're hoping that summer never ends, right? Because school is, I'm sorry I said it, right? But there's, it's coming. Whatever hope you've ever experienced, one of the things that happens from it is oftentimes we take risks in order to achieve it, right? Um, You might, for example, move across the country in hopes of a better future, which you may not even know anybody there. Listen, and the other thing too about hope is this, is that sometimes if you're older, let's be honest, maybe you've stopped hoping. You've had so many of your hopes dashed. But let me be honest with you, on some gut level, we all long for it. Well, the final segment of the Apostles' Creed is about hope. And it's, it's different than the kind of hope I was just unpacking. We'll see here in a moment. But the final line is this. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. In 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul writes, he unpacks what is this hope. And he's going to tell us, he's going to point us in three different directions. He's going to call us to look to the future. He's going to call us to look to the past. And then he's going to call us to draw near in the present. So, let me pray and we'll get in. So, Father, just pray now, wherever we're coming from today that you would illuminate your scriptures, that we would see this hope for what it is, and that we would set our eyes toward the one who ultimately is the source of it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the future. Paul points us toward the future. In verses 51 and 52, Paul tells about something coming down the line. And listen, listen to what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. That's some interesting language, isn't it? We got mystery, we got trumpets, we got all this stuff happening. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this, that for those rooted in Christ there involves an instantaneous transformation 
that's what it means, a twinkling of an eye, in which they will be given newly resurrected bodies. Isn't that interesting? A new body. Now, here's what's interesting. Earlier in the chapter, verses 35 to 49, Paul uses this analogy of our present bodies being like a seed and the life of the resurrection like a tree. In other words, there's this unimaginable difference between the two, right? You know if you plant a seed and it grows up to a tree, you know the huge difference is, and yet it's the same thing. And Paul's saying that's what this future hope is like. There's a body that's perishable, and there's a body that's going to be imperishable. There's a body that's mortal, that dies and decays, and there's going to be a new body that never decays. And the reason for this is given in verse 50. Paul says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Uh, It's something like this. It's sort of like this, but not really like this, but sort of like this. If we were to all get on a bus and go to, go to O'Hare and fly and ascend to Mount Everest today, it wouldn't work. None of our bodies are prepared for that. At 29,000 feet, there is 70% less oxygen. If you want to climb Mount Everest, good luck, but you're going to be training for months to get there. And Paul is saying in order to step into this kingdom that God is bringing, where there is no longer sin and there is no longer death, well, of course you need a new body, one that won't decay. And this is what we see right away off the part of what, what, what Paul is saying. The Christian hope, it's bodily. It's physical. Does this surprise you? Listen, the future hope is not this. It's not disembodied souls going to learn the harp and play the same song over and over again in some clouds. Revelation 21 speaks of a new heavens and a new earth, a city, a people with new bodies in the presence of God in which sin and death and suffering are no more. In short, the Christian hope is not escape from this world, but it is the transformation of this world. Now, here's what's also interesting. In our passage, it uses the language of immortality. Um, and, and that's simply speaking like things that don't decay. I mean, did you know this? Like if you're past the age of 25, your brain is decaying already. Like it's already hit its peak. I know you're all depressed. I've had 20 years of that decaying, right? But when Paul talks about immortality, we might think that that's the equivalent of for example, when the creed says life everlasting, right? But in some measure it is, life everlasting is talking about quantity, but life everlasting is actually more. It's speaking about the quality of life. Not just length, it's talking about the quality of it. I'll give you an example. In John's gospel, the word used for life everlasting is eternal life. And listen to what Jesus says in John 10.10. He says this, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then later in John 17, Jesus says, this is what eternal life is. He says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you notice that? Eternal life in that text is relational. Let me put it this way. You know why so many of you like the Hallmark movies? You won't admit it right this morning, right? But some of you really like those movies. Or if you've watched any good romance, you know what makes a good romance? It's when two people start out, right? And they somehow are going to somehow end up together, but you don't know how. You know, think for a moment of like, who wants Pam with Roy? No one wants, that's an office reference. If you want, don't forget about it. Just check out to the next point. But when you start, you all want Jim with Pam. You all want it. Like that moment, forget about it. Like that's what we want. There's something we all know that they were meant for each other, right? That that relationship is there. And do you know from cover to cover, the scriptures are saying something about that between his people and him, between God and humanity, that you were made for him. Um, it's interesting. One of the metaphors used in Scripture related to God and His people is that of marriage. It's, it's not saying you're going to literally marry God. It's, it's, it's a picture. But for example, in Isaiah 61, it says just that God rejoices over His people like a bridegroom. You know, um, I've done a few weddings in my life, and when you do a wedding, you know, you... I pretty much have the best spot, right? Because I'm standing next to the groom, and then, you know, you say, all rise. Everybody looks down and sees the face of this amazing bride coming forward. But I always look to the groom and look at his face. It's amazing. You're all missing it. You're all looking at the bride, but you're listening to this face of this guy, and it's, there's just so much excitement. That's what Isaiah 61 is saying. God is toward his people, And in Revelation, the center of the embodied world with no more sin or no more death, in Revelation 21, it says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, the the Christian hope is an embodied life that is everlasting, that is qualitatively beyond anything you have ever experienced because you were made for him. And it's interesting, I mean, even looking at this passage, it's like Paul has to use all these analogies because he can't, he's trying to describe, trying to give you a taste of what it's going to be. But then Paul says, there's the future, but, but let's look to the past for a moment. Listen, I, I said earlier that the hopes we started with, this one is different, and here's why. A hope for a better life, like in the next season of life, or a hope for a family, or a special someone, or whatever you might wish for, it's simply that, it's a wish. It may or may not happen. But Paul in this passage is saying this is a different type of hope. This is a hope that is certain. And this is all rooted in verses 54 to 57. Paul quotes two Old Testament texts, we'll touch on those in a moment, but I want you to notice how this section is framed. So in verse 55, Paul says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? One commentary put this way, Paul is mocking the enemy death itself. Or I'll just put it in my own words, Paul is trash-talking death. 
Have you ever trash-talked before? Have you ever been good enough to trash-talk before? Michael Jordan, some of you know him, he was renowned for his trash-talking. One of the stories told by Craig Elo, who at the time was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and in one particular game, Michael was scoring on him left and right. And at one point, this is according to Craig Elo, he said, Michael Jordan said to him, I'm going to catch it on the left elbow, and then I'm going to drive to the left of the baseline, and then I'm going to pull up and shoot my fadeaway. And sure enough, Craig Elo took him at his word, and it didn't matter. He did it. He banked it in for two of his 69 points that night. You only trash talk when you know you can dominate your opponent. So what is it that makes Paul so confident that he can trash talk death itself? The first reason this passage gives is because this is actually a quote from chapter 25 of Isaiah where God makes a promise. It's a picture of a huge feast, a big party. And one of the passages, or one of the themes in it, is this, it's this passage that's demonstrating what his reign is going to look like when he finally brings it into being. And the promise is this, that he's going to swallow up death forever. Paul is trash-talking death, firstly, because God has made a promise. He's going to deal with it. But the second reason Paul trash talks death is what comes next. Look at verse 56. Paul writes, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Listen, if you get stung by the Brazilian wandering spider, which according to Guinness World Records is the most venomous spider, when it injects its poison in you, Its resulting loss is muscle control loss, breathing problems, and ultimately, eventual asphyxiation. And Paul says here that each of us have been stung by something far more fatal. Sin. In in other words, although we might say this, like, he or she died of, you know, this natural cause or because of an illness... The biblical narrative says there's a deeper issue. There is a theological reason that death didn't enter the story until Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And ever since then, all of us have been bitten with the venom of sin. And that all of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we've all rejected God and his rule in one way or another. And so the question is, well, what are we to do? Well, you know, I mean, if you get bit by the spider, you try and find an antidote. But but what's the antidote for this sting? Well, look at verse 57. Paul says this, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 3, it says this, Christ died according for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. 
Remember how we said the earlier part of the creed of the statement says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The reason why you can be forgiven is because in Christ, he paid it. He took the penalty. He took the sin. He took the venom. And he died for you and he died for me so that we might have the victory. In 1987, Carl Lewis, at the funeral of his father, took his 1984 Olympic gold medal in the 100-meter dash, and he put it in his father's hands. He buried it with his dad. His dad did not win that race. His dad was not the fastest man in the world, but what did Carl Lewis do? He gave him the reward. That's what Paul is saying has happened in Christ. Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, has accomplished a great victory and is now willing to give you that reward. Now, let me say a couple things here. Some of you might be here this morning, and you might say something like this. That's certainly a nice hope. It sounds great. I mean, it's, I can see how this would be a nice thing to believe. But maybe you're saying, but who's to say? Well, it's interesting. At one point in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says something that is really remarkable. He hinges the entire hope on one thing, on one historic claim. In verse 17, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Do you realize what Paul's doing there? Paul is putting all his chips in on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, do not believe this because you want to believe this. Do not believe this hope because you think it's relevant to your life. Paul is saying, believe it because it's true. If it's not true, then forget about it. Seriously, what's the point? But Paul says earlier in actually verse 8, he says, by the way, 500 people saw Christ risen. And some of them are still alive today. Paul is writing 18, 20 years after Christ had risen. Do you understand? There is a reason to believe. Now, I'll just put it this way. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe skeptical, I would just encourage you. One resource would be N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. He does a great job of unpacking the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to see this. Notice what Paul's done. Paul has let us look forward, get a picture of what's coming. It's bodily. It's life everlasting. And notice he's called us to look back to understand the certainty of it. God has promised and God has done it in Christ. But Paul does not stop there. He says this absolutely has significance for your present living right now. And let me put it this way. Uh, Let me just quote Tolstoy for a moment. He says this, my question that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, 
what will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any mean in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Man, Tolstoy, you're just dark. <laughs> but he's so real. He's so honest. He gets underneath. But just put it this way. Here's what Tolstoy is saying. Imagine for a moment you work at a factory and it produces parts for various pieces of equipment. And one day, after a few, piece, a few years, you venture out to the end of the production line to see where all the, sharps are be, or all, all the parts are being shipped. And to great despair, you see they aren't being shipped. They're just being poured into a big pit and melted down. You recognize the years upon years of which you've worked is all in vain. Your labor is in vain. Listen, this example is actually what's pretty popular out there today. Many who have noble visions of justice for the poor, for the alleviation of sickness and disease, at the same time believe that in the end we are here by accident and that one day this whole thing is going to just burn up and that's it. And Tolstoy says, is there any meaning in that? But Paul's talking about a different hope. Look what Paul says in verse 58. This is how he concludes the whole chapter. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in what? Vain. Listen, what you believe about your future absolutely determines how you live in the present. And you see what Paul just did there? He said, if that's your future hope, a bodily resurrection, life everlasting, the forgiveness of your sins, if that's your hope, it gives you poise in the present moment. It changes. It changes why you work, how you work, who you work for. It changes everything. Everything. There is nothing in your life untouched. Nothing. N.T. Wright puts it so well. He says this. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and every prayer... All spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Let me ask you, Christian, how is this hope presently changing you. Do you realize the future certain hope that is yours in Christ? If you do, Paul says that ought to make you steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me ask you, Christian, are you waning in your service to him? 
Have you been moved? Have you shifted? Paul is painting a better picture. The life to come that affects the life now. There's a moment where Paul in this chapter says this. If Christ hasn't been raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul's saying if this didn't happen, it doesn't matter how you live. But Paul is saying it's true. Christ is risen. Christ has been raised. And one last thing. Do you realize the motive for living this way? This is incredible. The motive is not earning. It's all grace. In verse 57, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. What is his life being spurred on by? It is a life of gratitude for what God has done for him in Christ. Because here's the news. The God of the universe, check this, this is the gospel. The God of the universe has sent Jesus to come after us and he has gone all the way down in the depths of hell itself, to death itself, to win us back to himself. And listen, if that's your hope, let's go back to the chief protagonist, Snow, for a moment. He writes this, hope, it's the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. Listen, Christian, your hope in Christ, that is a lot of hope. There's nothing like it in this world. And it is dangerous in the best possible way. Here's your hope. Because of what Christ has done, because of the victory, your hope is this. It's certain. It's sure. Everything you've done, all the shame, the self-loathing, it's not diminished, but Christ has taken it. The forgiveness of your sins. The resurrection of the body. You know, let's be honest, we're just all decaying right now. <laughs> but do you know, there's a, there's a new glorious body coming that will not, will not decay. And life everlasting. The presence of God at the center of all things. No longer dim, but bright and clear and present as we are together today. Let's pray. Father, we confess, we, <laughs> we look other places for hope. When in your gospel, what we need and what we long for is all there. Would you enable us today to walk with a steadfastness, to not shift from this hope, to walk with lives of great gratitude and holiness and purpose and gospel intentionality that the world around us would just simply ask the question, what is up with those people? And it's not without suffering, it's not without doubting, it's not without all of its imperfections, but we pray that in the midst of this dark world, we might be a community resting in this hope.
In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we continue to respond...